Hey everyone, Josh Neighbors here, Locked On Big 12 Podcast. Today we are talking UCF football. Are the Knights ready for the Big 12 Conference? We've got Jason Beattie here. He is of the Orlando Sentinel, covers all things UCF. Conversation about the Knights coming up on today's show. You are Locked On Big 12, your daily podcast on the Big 12 Conference. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Once again, Josh Neighbors here, Locked On Big 12 Podcast. Make sure you guys subscribe uh, to the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at LOBig12, YouTube, all the places to you get your, spot, your podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcast, all of those places. You guys can find Jason on Twitter at the Real Beady, and you guys can find his work over at the Orlando Sentinel. Jason, nice to talk to you. How are the Knights? Is everybody fired up? Because the next time they kick off, they'll be a member of the Big 12 Conference. Yeah, this is something... UCF fans have been waiting for for a long time, not just the invite to the Big 12, but even since that invitation was received a couple of years ago, which is crazy. It's been, I mean, not exactly two years, but right. maybe a year and a half at this point. Uh, this season, this off season, uh, it's 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 exciting. I think when you talk about UCF being in the American Athletic Conference for almost a decade, uh, they're, they're ready for a new conference. They're ready to be part of the Power Five, and uh, this is something, like I said, they've been looking forward to in and around the building everyone is excited for the big 12 yeah so i think you know i've been kind of doing these season and reviews for everybody in the league and then the schools that are coming into the league and and for the schools that are coming in it's not it's not really a season and review and like we you know if i ask you hey is ucf ready for the big 12 it's the question isn't really hey will they go eight and four next year right like are they are they ready from all the standpoints that are now defining modern college football right how are your facilities? How is your recruiting? How is your coaching? How is your NIL? All of that stuff we can dive into. But just from a broad, from a broad sense, if I asked you, is UCF ready for life in the Big 12 conference from the football side of things, what would your answer be? I would say they're pretty close. Um, and, and and I don't think they're not not ready, right? They, right. they absolutely right. are ready. <laughs> but when you mention a holistic view, right? If we were to look at only their football roster. And, and base it on last season, they're obviously ready. But when you consider facilities and NIL and, and the staff and, and certain position groups on the team, they're close. And I think they're close to being competitive in the Big 12 right away. Um, and I, I think they're they're obviously ready to, to be at that Power of Five level stage. Otherwise, they wouldn't have gotten that invitation right from the Big 12. But um, overall, UCF is definitely ready. Uh, and, and they've And they're continuing to be uh, putting themselves in a in a as much of a good position as they can be, you know, entering uh, July 1, 2023. I said this, I, I was talking about, you know, I think a lot of the big conversation coming out of the national championship game is how can a big 12 team close the gap, right? How can a big 12 team, uh, you know, do what TCU did beat a Michigan, but then the next step is how do you beat a, you know, school like a Georgia and, look, when that CFP expands, it's not just going to be that. You're going to have to do that three times at the bare minimum. Uh, you know, you have to do it three times. To, I think, what is it, you know, round of 12, round of eight. I mean, you have to do it four times, three or four times, basically, to win the championship. And I said, if I had to pick a team in the next 10 to 15 years from the Big 12 to represent them, I picked five teams. UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston were all in there. And I also put Baylor and TCU. Would you do you agree with that assessment? And I, I think it's a lot of things, but the one thing they've got going for them is location. They are in an excellent location. 
the fact that they're really going to not just introduce Texas, but really expand how often they play in Texas. They're located in Florida. They're going to be in Texas. They're obviously going to be in Ohio playing Cincinnati and whatnot. West Virginia opens up more of that Midwest region. Then they're, they're really going to hit everything that you'd want on kind of, you know, I guess the right half of the country, nothing past Texas, but they're kind of hitting everything you want in that area. And so I think from recruiting, they're there. Uh, do you agree with that assessment when it comes to potential for recruiting? And also, obviously, I know the transfer portal is huge for them because they can attract guys who go to the Alabamas, the Georgias, those places. And if it doesn't work out for them, they can come back and transfer. I know they had some kids this year on the team. They got some guys in places like Auburn who are able to come and contribute to them. So do you think in terms of location from that standpoint, I'm kind of accurate in my assessment of what UCF could bring to the table and what the Big 12 brings to the table for UCF? Yeah, I think I think so. Um, you know, the Big Twelve has never had a team in Florida, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you look at the state of Florida, you think of college football being Florida, FSU, and Miami. And you look at this past decade of what UCF has done compared to the quote unquote Big right. Three. UCF's made an argument that it's it's the Big Four, really. And now that there's going to be four Power Five programs in the state of Florida, it absolutely is the Big Four. Uh, so I think the Big Twelve was really excited to extend its arm into the state of Florida, you know, you know, talking from a TV perspective, we're bringing so many more homes into big 12 football that otherwise maybe wouldn't have watched Iowa, Iowa state or, or Texas, Oklahoma. I mean, maybe that game, but you know, some of these other games where uh, someone in South Florida might not be watching it, but because UCF's in the conference, Oh, I might be interested in that, you know, in that big 12 football game. But from UCF's perspective over the next 10 to 15 years, it's going to be incredible growth because UCF has done so much with so little. When you talk about, I just mentioned the TV contract, the TV revenue numbers are, are going to, are incredible. Um, you know, UCF's going to be getting three to four times as much as they were just on right. TV numbers alone, uh, TV revenue. That doesn't include ticket sales, you know, fundraising is expected to increase, uh, you know, everything else that comes with being a Power 5 program. Um, you know, you look at the Power 5, and I, I always like, um, well, our columnist, Mike Bianchi, he, whenever he talks about some of these lower power five teams, he always likes to quote George O'Leary, the former UCF coach. Some of these power five teams are just collecting checks, right? And, and thankfully for the Big 12, Kansas has become one of those, you know, better teams in the Big 12. But for right. a long time, Kansas football was just collecting checks. It's like the check, same, yes. goes with, same goes with Vanderbilt and, and some of these other programs that, you know, they're not really competitive, but they have that power five logo right they have that power five status so ucf for for the past decade or so you know they've gotten to you know these these new year six bowl games they've they've put themselves in positions uh you know top 10 finishes uh conference championships with 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 so much less money than these power five teams so when it when you talk about a decade of getting full revenue you know once that kicks in in 2025 um, it's it's going to be exciting. It's almost hard to even picture what UCF's going to be able to do from a facility standpoint, from a recruiting standpoint, from from a staff retention. Right, that's always the thing with these group of five teams. The power of five always says you're not good enough, and oh, we're just going to poach your best coaches, and now in the portal, right. your best players. But once you start getting that power of five level, that power of five status, both financially and on the field, it changes the whole ball game. I mean, and you're playing in a different level right now. And that's not to say UCF wasn't competitive at the group of five. I mean, group of five, power five, just terminology for, uh, you know, the, the, the people who are. It's tax brackets, right? I mean, yeah. essentially right. tax brackets at this point, <laughs> right. right? The way money so, works. 
So once that money starts flowing at hundred percent at, at and who knows what else is going to happen down the line over the next decade in college realignment. But when you combine that financial standpoint, along with the college football playoff being expanded, I, you know, I think you look at what TCU did this year. I think that's inspiring for what UCF can do in the big 12. Obviously TCU only won four or five games last year, and now they make it to the national championship this year right. with the college football changing with the portal and NIL. It's, it's pretty, it's not easy, but it, it, TCU made it look pretty easy. You add the right pieces, you hire the right coach, and you can have a national championship team just like that, where before it would take years to build a program and, and years to catch up to the Alabamas and the LSUs and whatnot. But you look at what TCU did this year, there's never been a team like TCU, you know, in terms of that perspective um, from what they did in one offseason. I mean, it takes time to build championship programs, and, you know, there's a reason Georgia won, right? But with that being said, when you can include the expanded playoff, it's possible UCF can compete for a national championship sooner than later. One more word, Mauer. Sponsors on today's show, today's Locked On Big 12 podcast, is brought to you all by BetOnline and BetOnline.net, your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every pro and amateur league out there, from pro football to college basketball to the soccer going on right now in the Champions League and International. They've got it all covered. MMA, boxing, golf, even political odds, and stuff like WrestleMania coming up here in April. So if you love sports podcasts, they also have those as well. You guys can check them out at Bet Online. They're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet Online, it's where the game starts. So when we talk about like the actual, you know, with like the actual coaching staff, because obviously we, we saw it this year, Sonny Dykes pressing all the right buttons matters. I think the world of Gus Malzahn, I, I really think he's an awesome football coach. Um, I, I guess the question is, is, was, he's still a very good coach, but like as guys get older, you do wonder, especially if they're not at power places, like, can they maintain their fastball? Can they keep the, can they keep throwing, you know, a hundred in Gus's case? And I think Gus is obviously big, big claim is like, as he was great coordinator and nobody beat Nick Saban as much as him. Right. I, I think, um, I guess you could say, uh, what's I'm totally afraid. Hugh freeze did right. I think a couple times, obviously Gus got him twice. I think at least, at least twice, whatever it was. Um, you know, how would you say he's done in the first couple of years? And do you still think he is a coach that is going to, it's at a championship level? Cause I mean, obviously the guy has been to championships, won championships, coach and coordinator, whatnot. Do you think he can still reach that level? And I know they were playing for one this year uh, against Tulane, but wh wh what's your assessment of Gus Malzahn, where he is the program and kind of his future with the program? Because what is he, 62, I think, at this point? Yeah, I don't know his exact age, but I think the most important thing is he believes he can still be that guy. And 57, 57, sorry, 57. Yeah, I was going to say, I think he was still in his 50s. I don't want to yeah, 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 age yeah, yeah. the guy. Uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, Gus. Apologize, man. <laughs> Yeah, but I think from his perspective, he still believes. I mean, he he truly believes that UCF can win the Big 12 next year. That's yeah. not just coach speak. That's just like hyperbole. Um, and and you look at some of the you know transfer additions that they added, and and they'll add some more likely in the summer when you have that second portal window open up. Um, I think the important thing is it doesn't matter what I think or what other pundits think or other talking heads think. Um, the important thing is that he still believes that he can win at a high level. Right. And it's interesting. This is an interesting time for Gus Malzahn in his coaching career where he is. 
when he got fired from Auburn, he thought about taking a year off. He thought about going into TV. Um, and, and when the opportunity for UCF came up, it was something that he described personally before, previously when he worked at Auburn. If he, you know, he said it famously at his press conference, if the right guy got there and built it, built UCF, it could become a national championship contender over time. And he believes that he's the right guy. Now, college football has changed quite a bit since he's taken over. Talk about name, image, and likeness coming into effect. The one-time transfer portal, the one-time transfer rule coming into effect. Um, it, it's it's why he gave up play calling this this offseason. Uh, mm-hmm. He hired a, a new offensive coordinator, Darren Henshaw, and, and apparently Henshaw is going to be calling the plays. It's going to be him running the offense while Gus Malzahn, you know, understands the importance of NIL, the impact of roster management. I mean, he, he said it at the press conference. We spoke with him a couple of weeks ago when Henshaw was hired. College football nowadays for head coach, you're, you're kind of like a managing NFL team. I mean, you talk about the amount of money in NIL and roster management and the one and, and graduate transfers can, can leave kind of whenever they want. Uh, and, and transfer portal windows, it's, you almost have like a free agency. Um, and it's great for the players that they're getting NIL money. But from a coaching standpoint, the roster management is so important. So that, that's kind of why he, he took a step back from the offensive play calling. I liked how he put it. He doesn't have to worry about what's what you're supposed to call on third and two or third and one, where he can go focus on getting guys from the portal, uh, you know, helping fundraise for name, image, like his money, making sure how making sure it's 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 known for fans how important that is for roster management in 2023. Um, and I think Gus, you look at his first two years at UCF, like you you asked about, you know, year one, I think completely changed when Dylan Gabriel went down right and exactly on the road. That that changed, you know, the entire outlook on the season, and, and they, from that point on, they, um, you know, did better than we imagined. Um, they had to turn to a, a freshman quarterback, or Mike Keen, that Gus Mazan didn't recruit, not his style of quarterback, uh, and then they go on to win eight games in the regular season, beat the Florida Gators for the first time in program history, and the guys were the ball, and, and I think that was a successful season. Now, this past season was a year where it had so many. You know, they, they came so close a lot of times, right? Right. They, they, they were set up to coast to host college game day. They lost to EC on the road. They were set up to host the American Athletic Conference Championship. They lost to Navy at home on senior day, yeah. right? And then you go, you somehow are still in the AAC title. You have a chance still, despite all of that, you still have a chance to go to New Year's Six Bowl, go to the Cotton Bowl, you lose to Tulane on the road. Now, now as we saw, Tulane, you know, is a legit team, a really good football team. They deserve that spot, and they mm-hmm. deserve to beat USC, and they and they showed it on a national. Stage. They beat Kansas State this year too. Right, and they beat right. Kansas State earlier. They're right? a good football team. So, so when you put it in an entire perspective, it was a successful season for UCF. <clears> right, you, you get nine wins again, but you you go to a title game, first time they had done that since 2018. They were ranked for the first time since 2018. They beat Cincinnati for the first time since 2018. The disappointing part about the season is they lost three of their last four. They fell out of the top 25. And, you know, you look at that bowl game against Duke. Duke's a really good team. They, you know, they almost reached the ACC title game first year under Mike Elko. Uh, I think their turnaround, it was really good. They're going to continue to do good things in the ACC next season. So, you know, the bowl game and bowl season and opt-outs and portal, it's, it's hard to look at that game and say that was UCF football, what we saw when they were, you know, beating up on Cincinnati and Chile earlier in the regular season. When it counted, Tulane won. Uh, which is why it was a disappointing ending, but an overall successful season for UCF this past year. So I think when you look at Gus Malzahn's first two years, there's a lot of pros and cons. 
I think context is really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And he seems to have his quarterback in John Rice Plumley. If, if Plumley can stay healthy, I mean, you look at some of the way, some of the runs he was making against USF and, and Tulane in the regular season, um, he, you know, he's electric. So um, I, I think fans were a little disappointed with how the season went um, at the end, at least. But overall, they feel confident. And Gus Malzahn feels confident. That goes back to my original point. As long as he believes that he can be that guy and continue to build the program the way he wants to, that's what that's what's important. And until that belief is gone, um, you know, that's that's when you question potential retirement and whatnot. And how much longer can he be a college football coach in the modern era of college football? Yeah, so I'll get to the quarterback position. <clears throat> John Rice Plumley. So this league has been really interesting the last couple of years, at times defined by quarterback play. Uh, I would say 2021, not so much. Maybe it defined it in the sense of like, don't make as many mistakes. Uh, we saw Spencer Sanders make a bunch in the championship game. He was your first team Big 12 quarterback. And, and so the quarterback play was a bit down. But last year, very much defined by quarterback play, right? Uh, Texas was good, but couldn't really get over the hump because their quarterback play, Baylor the same way. Tech was pretty good, but had a revolving door of three guys that I think are pretty decent. But the problem is they didn't play. You know, they were pretty inconsistent. At the top, we had the switch from Adrian Martinez to Will Howard, and that team was completely different in Big 12 play. And obviously, Max Duggan, the Heisman runner-up at quarterback for TCU. Um, I I like John Rice Plumley. I actually got to watch him when I was in school at the University of Missouri. I thought he was a very good athlete. Um, I have some questions about what happens when teams are really able to shut down the run. And, I mean, I, look – I think he's a good player. I think obviously he's one of those guys where it's like, you have to be able to do both. The dual threat has to be there. You cannot have the passing by itself. You know, the running probably could stand on its own, but like, if you want to be the ultimate threat at quarterback, both need to be working. Um, I I think personally, I, I need to see some market improvement starting next year in the passing game to be like, all right, UCF can maybe hang with the tough, and not even saying win the championship in big 12. But if, if Gus has any ideas of winning the league, his quarterback's going to need to, I think, elevate his level of play. Not saying he's bad, but you mentioned there is some games there that were some real stinkers, and you can point to his play. Even the game against Louisville early in the season, you know, I thought he missed a couple throws that could have made the difference in that game. So your thoughts on Plumlee and kind of where you think he needs to be coming back next year. It's nice to have an experienced guy, but is he the right kind of player? Can he get all the way there? Yeah, that's that's the question. Um, how can he improve this offseason? And what can they do under Darren Henshaw, the new offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach? Uh, and how does the offense change, right? And and is John Rice Plumley the right guy for that new offense? When Henshaw was introduced, he talked about stretching the field vertically. And he said this the other day on the radio. He was talking with the wide receivers who were kind of upset that they didn't throw the ball a whole lot down the field. They threw the ball a lot just around the line of scrimmage. And, and that's kind of Gus Malzahn's bread and butter in the offense. You know, short passes line, behind the line of scrimmage. You know, jet sweep. A lot of window dressing in the Gus right, offense. Right, a lot of right. window dressing. Exactly. If you've watched Gus Malzahn's offense, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And sometimes it works. A lot of the times it can be frustrating. Um, and under, so under Darren Hinshaw, the offense is going to change. I think you're going to see more, you know, down the field passing and whatnot. And when you think about that offense, I don't think you think of John Rice Pulmy as the quarterback for that offense. Uh, again, he's not a bad player by any means. When he's healthy, he, he's electric. He's hard. He's he's really fast. Uh, he he's willing to put his body on the line, and that's le- that led to some of his injuries. He dealt with a concussion this season. Um, towards the end of the year, he dealt with a hamstring that that really limited him in the title game and limited him against Duke. Um, you know, like I mentioned before, Mikey Keene was not Gus Malzahn's quarterback. That's why he 
after this season, transferred to Fresno State, uh, moves closer to home. He's from Arizona, goes to a team that won the Mountain West uh, this, this past season, and maybe they'll continue to do that. But so you look at the quarterback room without Mikey Keene, it's, it's John Rice Plumley, who, who, when healthy, is electric as a runner. Um, and he has some, uh, he can definitely throw the football, just not as consistently as I think you would need the Power Five, especially in the Big 12. And then the rest of the quarterback room, it's, it's not like they have this talented, experienced quarterback room behind John Rice. That's the problem. So you have Thomas Castellanos, who they really liked out of Georgia. Uh, he, he enrolled early, so he's already done one spring. This will be his second spring on campus. And, and he played four games. They burned his red shirt, unfortunately, because they kind of had to when Mikey didn't want to burn his red shirt, which is fine. Um, you, you know, you can question, I think, more about Gus Malzahn's ability to manage uh, quarterbacks. But so Thomas Castellanos, basically a freshman. They had to add a quarterback, and they added a quarterback, Timmy McLean, the talented freshman quarterback at USF, played a lot his first year. He's a, he's a local recruit that UCF probably should have gotten the first time around out of high school, uh, but the previous coaching staff didn't have a great relationship with local high schools. Um, you know, that's something Gus Malzahn has done really well is recruit the area of Orlando. Josh Heupel and his staff, for whatever reason, kind of got away from that. Uh, so Timmy McLean, for the UCF listeners, they know who he is. He's a you know really talented high school quarterback in the area, went to USF, entered the portal after uh, Gary Bohannon was named the starter there under Jeff Scott. Maybe a, a name Big 12 fans will recognize Bohanna from Baylor, obviously. Uh, so Timmy transferred to UCF. You don't see a lot of those USF to UCF transfers, but they happen. And uh, so you have Tommy and Timmy, <laughs> and they're sign- they just signed a high school quarterback out of South Florida, Dylan Risk, uh, out of Cardinal Gibbons, who I, who I think is uh, a good quarterback. He's- I'm not expecting him to play his first year. He doesn't enroll early. It kind of puts him at a disadvantage. He'll arrive over the summer, and that's fine. He'll, he'll- you know, he's the quarterback for their future. But you look at that, you know, you look at that room, and what did I just say? You know, a guy who, who struggled staying healthy and essentially three freshmen that don't have a lot of experience. You don't look at that room and say that's a Big 12-ready, Power 5 quarterback room. You know, John Rice obviously has his talents, um, and you talk about what, how can we see him improve this offseason. Well, John Rice is planning on playing baseball this spring, and that's something he did at Old Miss. It's something he, you know, he, he thinks he can um, play at a high level, play baseball in the spring, football in the fall, and that, that's his passion. And that's why he transferred to UCF to, number one, play quarterback again and play baseball. So he, he missed the waiver last year to play baseball because he transferred late. But this year he's going to be able to play baseball right away. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I've asked him, do you feel like you can do that, improve in football, stay healthy, and also play baseball? He feels like he can because it's something he's done his entire life. Um, I'm not a Division One athlete, so I can't speak exactly for him. But from my perspective, that seems like a really big challenge. Um, and I think um, you know that was a promise Gus Malzahn made to him, that he's going to be able to play quarterback and uh, baseball. So he's going to be juggling spring football and baseball again uh, while three – you know, two two underclassmen because Dylan Risk doesn't arrive till the summer. Turn to classmen Timmy McLean and Thomas Castellanos, you know, dueled out in the spring. So I wouldn't be surprised if Darren Hinshaw says, okay, we need someone with power five experience when that second portal window opens. Mm. Um, you know, and look, maybe Timmy McLean and Thomas Castellanos uh, show something in the spring and they go, we have a guy and John Rice, you're still going to be part of the offense. But I think I wouldn't be shocked at all if they continue 
you know, go through the spring, evaluate the quarterback room, and eventually add someone experienced uh, over the summer to fit in Hinshaw's offense. Quick word from today's sponsors on the Locked On Big 12 podcast. We are brought to you all by LinkedIn. You guys know the deal. LinkedIn is the best place to find qualified candidates for your open positions. As a small business owner or hiring manager, you know that success in 2023 all depends on the team members you surround yourself with. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can hire qualified candidates more effectively by matching open roles with people who have the skills, values, and experiences to help you achieve your goals. Once again, LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Once again, linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. You know, there is a guy out there. There is a guy out there with Big 12 experience who has not found a home yet. Spencer Sanders needs a home. But I think I think you're right. I, I think I think with John Rice, like, and then this thing is too. This is an old group returning. If I'm if I'm correct, Jason. I mean, you look at a lot of the guys they've got coming back, especially the skill positions and the offensive line. Like, they've got a pretty old group, and you know the these are the kind of groups that we see us all the time. In the Big Twelve, K State had one of them this year. Iowa State had a really nice group. Obviously, they didn't you know do as well in their final year together. But this is a pretty old group on offense, and I. I if I'm a UCF fan, you know, I, I didn't even think about the baseball part of it. That would concern me because I am really thinking about getting the most out of this group. They did well this year, but like you still won nine games. And I think they definitely there's room for more. Like we talked about, I, I'd want my quarterback all the way in. And I, like, I know, like, once again, let the kid play baseball, sure, whatever. He might end up being a baseball player, but it's not like John Rice Plumley is, you know, some amazing baseball prospect. Uh, I don't remember, you know, him being a standout at Old Miss. So, you know, I think there is – I'd be concerned if I was a UCF fan. And look, he, he can go play baseball, and that's fine. I actually think he is a solid baseball player. Um, I, I yes. Don't know. Good yeah. athlete, right? He looks like an right. outfielder. Right. right. He's got the speed. He's going to exactly. steal a lot of bases for you. Um, but in terms of developing as a quarterback, I'm not saying he can't do it. I just think it's going to be really challenging. And when you talk about the hamstring issues he dealt with, maybe playing baseball and football at the same time, immediately after dealing with all of that isn't the best thing. Again, I'm not uh, a division one athlete that's played at the highest level, but from an outsider's perspective, that's watched these things. Um, there's a reason you don't see too many athletes doing it, right? The last one I can think of is, you know, maybe there's some obscure ones, but Jameis Winston had played baseball. And Kyler Murray and Jameis. The Kyler two, Murray. Right? And those course, two guys right? were, I mean, those two guys are like elite of unicorns. Elite, right? unicorns. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so for John Rice, I'm not saying he can't do it. And maybe, right. They find a way where they practice in the morning for baseball and, and football is later in the day. But again, I just think that's that sounds like a really tall task. And maybe Hinshaw, you know, finds a way to figure it out and they can improve. But um, it's going to be really challenging to do that. And maybe we'll see what happens in the spring. Who knows? This was a pretty good group defensively this year. And also I've seen with a lot of the recruiting, that's been a big focus. They've really focused on especially the defensive line and trying to get that beefed up. Cause I think, you know, last couple of years of big 12, and this is a lot of leagues, but like, it's, it's kind of been won or lost there up front. Um, and you have to do some creative things on defense. It was a pretty good year for the defense, right? I think top 40 in terms of points allowed per game. Uh, where do you think the defense is? And, you know, coming to the big 12, they're, <laughs> they're going to see some different things, right? Uh, this is one of the more innovative leagues when it comes to offense. 
Um, what, what are your thoughts on you know those guys, and what do you think the adjustment will be? Because we know there's an adjustment. It's just a matter of how big the adjustment is. Yeah, you know, the defense, you know, for most of the season, it was the number one red zone defense in the country. Mm. Um, I think some fans, a minority group, were kind of upset. Why can't we just stop them outside of the red zone? Like, for whatever reason, it seemed like throughout the season, they'd give up a bunch of yards, but limit the points, which is, I guess, you know, that's the points matters. That's how you win football games. Um, towards the end of the year, though, you know, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they gave up a lot of points, those final three out of four losses, like I mentioned the defense kind of cracked in the red zone. And, and some of that has to do with the offensive struggles. Defense is going to be in the field for a long time if your offense can't pick up first downs, right? Um, but I still think this defensive unit, uh, they, they return a lot of talent. They return to the key guys, Traymond Morris, Brash being one of them, Josh Telescar being another. Those two guys along that defensive uh, line are, are really talented. And they signed, you know, you mentioned if you look at recruiting, they signed one of the best defensive linemen in the country, and John Walker out of Osceola, um, and Isaiah Nixon. They flipped. You know, he they originally had him in his class. He flipped to Florida. They flipped him back, which is really impressive. Uh, so to hold on to John Walker, you know, Florida wanted him, Miami wanted him, Ohio State, Michigan. You know, he, he was you know a top 100 national product uh, prospect. You know, one, uh, the highest rated class, the highest rated recruit that UCF's ever signed, John Walker. Um, and you talk about Caven Call, a local kid from Apopka on the edge there. You know, they really ramped up um, at, at the edge and on the defensive line. Um, they signed a, a four-star corner, Braden Marshall as well. So they, they, they had a really good signing class um, focused on the defensive side of the ball. Because like you said, you need to win in the trenches up front, especially on defense. You need to rush the quarterback. And, and, and they kind of revamped. Um, like I said, John Walker, it, it, he's, he's legit. I mean, he's legit as a high school prospect can be. Um, and you look at who they have returning as well. Um, and, and they, they had some younger guys play towards the end of the season at, you know, Cam Moore at linebacker as a guy that, that played a lot as a freshman. Um, they have the Henderson twins. Like I mentioned, Sanford Seminole high school earlier when talking about Timmy McLean, Gus Malzahn signed Damari and Jakari Henderson, uh, out of high school, out of Sanford Seminole, near around the corner. And they're two talented guys in the secondary that I think Big 12 fans are going to know a lot about pretty soon. So they have youth that they have, they have some youth at some key positions, uh, but they also return a lot of, you know, key senior guys that are, you know, using the extra year of eligibility um, at, at certain positions. So a new defensive coordinator this year, Addison Williams. He replaces Travis Williams, who left for Arkansas to become their defensive coordinator. Um, and Gus Malzahn felt really strongly about promoting him. Addison was previously the defensive backs coach and the assistant head coach and, and someone who Gus Malzahn thinks positively of. So they promoted internally for the D coordinator. It took about 24 hours. He made some phone calls and ultimately felt strongly about retaining Addison and giving him that promotion. So, um, I think UCF's defense is probably, you know, a really good one. Uh, I think that's ready for the Big 12. It was one of the better ones in the American. I think they're going to have to adjust, like you said, to the speed and the size of the Big 12. But, um, you know, I think the defense is definitely going to be one of the stronger parts of next season for UCF. Can I get you out of here on, on one more thing? We haven't really touched on NIL a whole lot, but – I think the one thing you'd say about this league is sure it's there's no Tennessees or Alabamas or Georgias that way, but 
by all accounts, the team that has done the best job, the school rather, it's done the best job, has been Texas Tech. Now, that is an established school, a lot of donors across a big state. There's people with a lot of money and they're well organized. I know UCF has a ton of alumni. I know that's one thing that we hear about a lot, but they do skew younger. And I'm a younger guy, I can tell you, not the wealthiest guy in the world out there. A lot of folks around, you know, younger like you and I aren't that. And so, you know, is this a situation where you're kind of more excited down the line for NIL? What situation look like right now? Who are kind of the big factors in that? And where is UCF as we transition them to the Big 12 next season? I think UCF is doing better in NIL than you than the average fan would think. Um, you know, and that and that, you know, I think they were I was talking with someone who's in charge of one of the larger NIL groups at UCF called the Kingdom NIL. And and it's I think they're definitely had to play a little bit of catch up, but I think they're going to be in the middle of the pack in terms of NIL their first year in the big 12. And I think that's pretty impressive considering, you know, you look at UCF's fundraising problem is you mentioned that they have 300,000 living alums. I think the average age is like 42 or something like that. It's a really young. Very young. It's really Very young. young yeah. Right. But they have 300,000 alums. So, you know, if everyone donated, you know, two dollars. There's almost a million dollars right there, but that's not how fundraising works. Right. right. They'll get they'll get older and they'll get they'll accumulate more wealth. But forty two right. on average is very young. Yeah. It's, it's something. It's it's in the forties, maybe upper thirties even. Right. Um. So the problem UCF has is they need to either and they'd like to do both, but they need to either increase the amount of people who donate or increase the amount of money the current amount of people donate. Right. And they like to do both. They want to expand their base and expand how much people donate because that way you're going to get more and more money logically. Um, and, and they've they've launched Mission 12, which is their you know latest fundraising initiative. But in terms of NIL, I think you have, you know, UCF's in this position where there's only so many people that are going to donate to the school and the people who are going to donate to the athletic department is small. The people who are going to donate to the NIL group is small. The people who are going to donate to both of those things is even smaller. So it's I think there's a process where, you know, you talk about you look at the last ten years of college football. It was a facilities race, right? Who can build the, the the best facilities? Who can build the grandest football locker rooms and whatnot? And and you know the Alabamas and the Tennessees are going to have the shiniest, prettiest stuff. But I think um, for UCF to be competitive, you know, there are some things they want to do with facilities, but NIL is so important nowadays. Um, I've heard it from so many people, you know, recruits come on visit and say, well, what's the first thing? You know, the first question is, what can you do for me in NIL? And how you feel about that is one thing. I think it's awesome that players can make money off their name, image, and likeness. Um, but I think UCF's doing better at NIL than the average person would think. Um, I know they're at the top or near the top in the American. I think they're going to be middle of the pack. Um, you know, the Kingdom NIL, that's their large group. That's their large donor group. Um, and then they have something called Mission Control, which is more of a, you know, a subscription service. You can pay $5 a month, $10 a month, $30 a month, and you get you know, access to Zoom calls and autograph sessions, things like that. That's more of the, uh, for the average fan. But for the big donors, they do have a group where if you want to you know, commit $12,000 a year or $50,000 a year, they have that set up. So I think UCF definitely embracing NIL from a money standpoint. You know, from a sponsorship standpoint, I think UCF's in a great spot in Orlando. Some of the biggest brands in the world are here. Um, I think UCF could probably do a little bit better 
Um, you know, I haven't seen UCF athlete land a deal with, you know, Disney World per se, but you talk about some of the other big brands in Orlando, um, they're doing a pretty good job. I think they're doing better than the average person might think. So I think UCF um, has a little bit of room to catch up on, but they're in a really good position. They have a group. They have a couple groups. They have a plan. Uh, UCF Athletics recently endorsed that. That was something that the NCAA just approved that athletic departments can do a little bit more with it. Now, what's interesting is UCF's in the state of Florida, and the NCAA, you know, I think they can do a lot more. I think there needs to be something done in Congress to make it more, uh, you know, to make it some to have some federal law, have to have it nationally balanced. Because right now, the Florida statutes are more limited on what an athletics department can do than the NCAA rules. So, you know, the rules aren't equal in Oklahoma and Texas versus Florida. Um, it, Florida's laws are pretty limited, and, and there are some representatives um, that are trying to, you know, amend the rule, and the rules have changed a little bit in the past year or so since it was introduced. Um, but I think UCF's in a really good spot in NIL, uh, better than the average person might think. But they've got some – they've got a little bit of work to do for sure. Jason Beatty of the Orlando Sentinel. Where can people find you and your work and all of its variety? Yeah, orlandosentinel.com. We have a special UCF section. You can follow me on Twitter at the Real Beatty. I'm looking forward to finding out this Big 12 schedule, whenever it's going to drop. Who I knows? know. I've been working hard trying to figure out. We're all we're all on pins and needles. Trust me, waiting for that schedule to drop. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Jason Beatty, once again, Orlando Sentinel. Appreciate your time. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much.